Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 269. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to check out the Pre-Med Years podcast. If this is the first time you are listening, welcome and thank you for being here. The best thing that you can do right now if you're a new person here, or even if you have listened to this podcast before but you haven't done this yet, is to subscribe. On an iOS device, it's easy through the podcast app. On an Android device, it's just as easy, either through Google Play Music or through a third-party app like Podcast Attic, which is what I recommend or you can now listen on Spotify. Go check out all of our podcasts at mededmedia.com. Today, I have a great guest. She is pretty popular on Instagram, another Instagram person, and she had a great post about imposter syndrome. She also also runs a blog where she talked about imposter syndrome, and so I invited her on because imposter syndrome is something that comes up a lot on your journey to becoming a physician, even after you're a physician. When you start out as a pre-med, when you start out as a medical student, an intern, your second year residency, an attending, a fellow, wherever you are on your path, you will typically encounter imposter syndrome. And so I had a great discussion with Mama Dr. Jones on Instagram, Daniel Jones. She also has the website mindonmed.com. We'll start this journey and talk about imposter syndrome right now. Danielle, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. So when did you realize that you wanted to be a physician? Oh, I actually had kind of a different story than most people who kind of say they've wanted to do this their whole life. You know, I really went to college not expecting this to be my path and I majored in psychology and kind of figured out halfway through my first year, probably, that I didn't really want to do that forever and kind of started exploring other paths. And there was, I always tell people, I think it was a culmination of a bunch of things that happened in my life and a bunch of experiences that I had that kind of just came together, probably the end of my second year of college. And I decided to apply to med school. The way you started that out, it almost sounded like you were avoiding it to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of 
fears that come with kind of pursuing medicine. And even though I grew up in a family that had told me, you know, you can be whatever you want. There's nothing off limits. All of the things you're supposed to tell your kids. I, I just don't even think I ever considered that it was an option for me. Like it just really hadn't ever crossed my mind. And I don't know why my mom is a nurse and, you know, I've been exposed to the medical world my whole life. And maybe that was part of the reason I didn't really consider it is because of watching how hard she worked and how it was stressful sometimes. But I don't know. It just happened. And I'm so glad it did because I'm really happy that I ended up here. And I'm very happy with my choices and where I'm at now. One of the things that always seems to come to the forefront for a student like yourself or now a physician uh, going through this process and not thinking about it is not having a role model to to emulate and to to look up to and go oh she did it so I guess I could too you said your mom was a uh, a nurse did you have any female physicians in your life that you could look to and go oh she's doing it I, I guess I could um my pediatrician growing up was a female but I don't you know, I don't, I, she was the only doctor that I knew and I only knew her from going to the doctor. So no, I don't guess I really had that. And that's kind of been one of the driving forces of why I've gotten involved in um, the Instagram community lately, because as a pre-med and a med student, I remember this feeling of not being able to find someone who had a life that looked like what I wanted to have. I knew that someday I wanted to have family and Someday I wanted to have a fulfilling career and I didn't have anyone that really was kind of there for me to say, okay, look, this is how you do it. Here are the steps. And so I probably overshare my family a little bit and I hope that my kids don't hate me for that when they get older. But (laughs) I just, I feel like we've got to be out there telling people that, you know, you can balance it and make it work if you really want to. I love that you went there because I was going to go there with with Instagram (laughs) Being out there, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, there's so much access now to physicians, to engineers, to whatever of of every sex, every color, everything for a student coming up to go, oh, he's doing it. She's doing it. I, I guess I can do it. Do you think I, I, let's talk Instagram for a minute because because you went there. There are some Instagram physicians out there, and I won't call them out by name, but there are some that, that just post pictures and pretty heels and purses and, and the glamorous side of apparently being rich as a doctor. I, I don't know <laughs> where they're getting that from. Uh, do you think some of these accounts take it a little bit too far? Um, you know, I don't know. I try to follow people on there who are just posting things that are positive and give me a perspective into the other lives of other physicians and medical students and residents and pre-meds. And so I don't know, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I just kind of purposefully filter those out, but I'm sure it's possible to take it too far. Um, It's certainly historically been something that we've seen, you know, dating all the way back to, I don't know how long you've probably been involved with social media things a long time, but the flea case long ago um, that kind of sparked social media medicine interacting and started some of the negativity surrounding that. Yeah. Who's your favorite Instagrammer to follow? Physician. Oh my goodness. I have so many. Um, You know, Natalie Crawford is an REI physician who I had, I have followed her from my personal Instagram and kind of chatted with her on and off for a while. And when I decided that I was going to start the 
mom and Dr. Jones Instagram, I kind of talked to her and said, all right, what do I need to do to make this something that's beneficial? And so I, you know, I love following her page, but there's so many, I can't even, it's, I tell almost my husband's like all of your friends and your phone, (laughs) (laughs) I probably need to stay off of it sometimes, but yeah. Tell Natalie, I've been trying to get her on specialty stories and we keep going back and forth on DM. Tell her she needs to schedule with me. Okay. <laughs> Be an advocate. So, All right. so as you were going through this process, you you finally made the switch from, you said psychology you started off as. What was it about medicine and being a physician called you to it? Because your your mom was a nurse. Why didn't you just, just say, oh, I, I guess maybe I should be a nurse? Well, I, you know, kind of the same way that being a doctor never really crossed my mind, being a nurse really didn't either. And it wasn't, I, I don't know. And I can't really answer that question, but I, it was just something that happened. And then as far as being drawn to medicine, I think I went through the psych for, and I stayed psych as my major. And what I realized is that what I was wanting was to be interacting with people on a daily basis. And then in reviewing kind of my life, I know that I'm, I'm a doer. I like to work with my hands. And I thought psych gives me that person interaction, but it doesn't give me like the working with my hands aspect that I'm looking for. And so I think the transition happened there. And then again, my stepdad, just to be very candid, had a double lung transplant when I was in my sophomore year of college. Um, And it was a long road both leading up to that and in the time afterwards. And so that is what gave me my initial exposure to kind of seeing the inside workings of the hospital and how people could affect how he was doing just based on how they interacted with him. And I thought, you know, I could do this that well. I could interact with people that well. And so my goal every day when I'm interacting with my patients is I can either interact with them in a way that makes this better or worse for them. And when I walk into the hospital, my goal is to never make anybody's day worse by my bedside manner. And that kind of led me into medicine just by watching the people he interacted with who were wonderful, by the way, um, when he went through that. So that was your seed. The The way that I talk about the journey, what was the seed? And then what was the, the water that watered the seed along the way? Who did you shadow that continued to motivate you? Who did you what mm-hmm. patients did you encounter that were like, yes, this is what I want to do day in and day out? Yeah. And I had a REI um, mentor in medical school who I just, I still looking back, don't know if I was just enamored with her or actually her field, but she, she put in me this fire that women's health could be so fulfilling and, and you could do that and make a difference. And and that was kind of what sparked my interest in OB-GYN. And actually, probably 95% of why I chose OB-GYN is because I wanted to go into infertility. And obviously, along the way, there was a, I mean, that's a whole different story. But I i decided not to apply to REI for a whole lot of reasons. But I still love that field, which probably is why Natalie's Instagram was so interesting to me when I found it. So Yeah. What was the hardest thing about being a pre-med, having transitioned from another major a little bit later on? Um, I think it was just the, like, not really anticipating the difficulty of applying. You know, a lot of times if you go into 
to college thinking pre-med is your route, you probably get hooked in with the pre-med societies and, you know, you have people who have done it the year before you that you can talk to. And I just had no clue. I decided the end of my sophomore year and I just, I hadn't even taken both physics courses and like took the MCAT and applied and didn't get in because I was just wholly unprepared for both the application process and the competitiveness of it. And so I had to then re-examine and decide, do I apply again or do I choose a different route? And that was probably the hardest decision up until that point in my life was figuring out if I should keep trying or not. How did you figure that out? It sounds kind of cliche, but I just looked around like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Like, this is what I've decided now over the past year and a half of dedicating myself to trying to figure this out. This is what I've really decided is my goal. And if I'm not going to do it, then what am I going to do? And I just thought I have, you know, it's just one more year in the course of a year. A lot of things can change and I might as well just apply again. And if not, then I'll find something else. Did you seek out any information, any advice from anybody about why you didn't get in and how to improve your application? Or was it just a a timing thing? Like majority of students make the mistake of applying really late in the cycle. And so they just never have a chance. Yeah, I actually turned my application in early. I, my MCAT score was mediocre at best again, because I didn't really do much to prepare for it. And I got some feedback from the places that I applied to. And then from the places that I interviewed, I kind of talked to them a little more in depth, like what's going on. And then we had some people at my college who kind of could review the application with me and go over some weak points. But I knew, I knew when I applied what my weak points were, I knew my MCAT was a weak point. I knew that I had had very much less shadowing and medical experience than other people who were applying because, again, it wasn't really in my cards, I didn't think. And so I spent that year that I was reapplying, looking for ways to improve my application. So I retook the MCAT and I shadowed some and I got a job for my gap year working as a medical assistant, medical medical tech in an allergy clinic doing allergy testing. And so I kind of keyed into my weak points of my application and tried to work on those. Talk about medical school. You you got into medical school. What was the biggest shock when you started medical school? Actually, you know, we were going to talk about imposter syndrome and that article or that blog that I wrote the first time that I really remember feeling that was in the anatomy lab. And Anatomy was really challenging for me for some reason. I I just, it was so much so quickly. And I remember thinking halfway through first semester, you know, I, I don't know if I can do this. I think somebody accidentally slid my application through into the wrong pile and they have accidentally put me here thinking that I could do this because all of these people are so much more prepared than I am and how can I possibly do it? And I was standing there in the middle of anatomy lab during a practical looking around and just for whatever reason in my head, everybody else was so much more capable than I was. And in hindsight, that is crazy because everybody probably felt a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit unprepared. But in my head at the time, it was just me and I was the only one who was having a hard time. So that first semester was definitely my 
most challenging part of med school. Getting through that, I felt like, okay, I can do this now. In your mind, define imposter syndrome. So, you know, I call it imposter syndrome when I write about it on the blog, but I think there's actually like a defined imposter syndrome that's probably a little bit more significant than the the feeling I'm trying to describe. But in my head, when I talk about feeling like an imposter, it feels like I'm here by accident and am I really capable of doing these things that I'm about to do or that I just did. And so there's been multiple times through medical school and residency and being out in the real world that I felt like that. And it's it's almost akin to like a feeling, you know, when you get deja vu or nostalgia, you don't really expect that it's about to happen. And then it happens and you go, yep, I felt like that before, but it's very random. And it's recurring because <laughs> you get it when you get that first acceptance, you're like, there's lots of Danielle Joneses out there. I, I, they're probably meant to send this to somebody else. And then you're in class and then you start your clinical rotations and you're like, there's no way that they're going to let me be around these patients. And then internship and it just continues on down the line. Absolutely. The first time somebody hands you a scalpel and, you know, tells you, okay, do the C-section. <laughs> and in your head, you think, you know, you still see yourself as 16 year old who's just getting a driver's license and why would anybody be trusting me to do this? And it's not rational because you know you've watched a million C-sections and you've helped with a million more and you're clearly ready and you have the skills and the foundation to do it, but you just feel like, how can I possibly have gotten to this point? What do you do in those situations? You know, it's kind of a fleeting feeling, I think, but usually in my head, I can go, okay, you know, you are prepared for this because if you think back over everything you've done and, you know, from the first six months of med school, like I not only applied, I reapplied, I got accepted. We went through this. You, you are fine to be here. And you have to kind of figure out what, as you know, in anatomy, it was figuring out my study style. And what I was struggling with is that I would look around and see people making flashcards and think, well, she's making flashcards. I need to make flashcards. So I'd go home and make flashcards, but I couldn't study like that. And I would spend more time writing and rewriting and trying to OCD my way into pretty flashcards than I would studying them. And that just wasn't my study style. And so for me, for anatomy, it was finding my study style. And that continued to help me through medical school and residency all the time, even now. Um, so I think just reviewing in your head what you're doing and that you are perfectly capable and trained and you've worked really hard for that, whatever part of this you're in. I'm interested to know your thoughts on this, whether or not you think imposter syndrome could be getting worse because of social media. We see what other pre-meds are out there doing, or at least posting on social media. We we see what residents and physicians are doing. And and when we look at our own lives, we, we compare, unfortunately, going, oh, well, my life doesn't look like that, so therefore I, I shouldn't be here. Yeah, absolutely. I think in all walks of life, not just in pre-medical and medical training, that things like that are getting worse, just comparing yourselves to people in that way. And, you know, all of us, even, even all of us who've finished our competitive applications and all of that, we only post things on social media that kind of show us in a good light for the most part. And I try every once in a while to throw in a post like, you know, remember, it's not all rainbows and sunshine. I'm here at 
two in the morning with something really sad going on, but you can't, you know, I'm, I feel like in order to be a positive person, it helps me to highlight the positive aspects of my life. And I can open up Instagram and look at, you know, what, what did I feel that week was a positive thing going on. And so, you know, you just got to take a step back and realize that it's not, it's, it's rose colored glasses on the internet. And as long as you're working hard and putting in everything you got, that's, that's all you can do. Yeah. And I had switching from medicine into what I do now with podcasting. I sat on three recorded podcasts for about six months because I was too scared to put them out. I had imposter syndrome back in 2012 <laughs> when I was first starting this out going, who am I to start a podcast to talk about this journey into medicine and pre-med world? And and so it it affects everybody at all times. And it's just got to to kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go. Right. That's that's too funny. I can. And it's you do it when you're a parent too. like who entrusted me to <laughs> keep this person alive. And, you know, I, I think you'd probably do it in all walks of your life. It's the most noticeable to me in medicine, I think, because we are doing something so privileged, I feel like that not a lot of people get the opportunity to do. Um, and so it's like this also this feeling of not wanting to let people down, whether it's your patients or your mentors or your family. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure and, but you know, you just, just like with your podcast, you review and you go, why did I do this? Well, I had a story to tell and I think I can help people. And in medicine, we review, like I went to med school and I worked my butt off for four years and I went to residency and I worked my butt off on steroids for four years. And, you know, now here I am and I can do this laparoscopic tubal and, and I am well-trained. Talk about that, that reflection. I'm sure there are moments like there are moments for everybody where they, they're doubting their journey. They're doubting their reasons for being here. They're, they're going through maybe a period where you've gone through of studying for the boards or studying for the MCAT or, uh, studying for your, 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 actual OB-GYN board certification and, and you're like, why am I doing this? How do you reflect back and, and remember why you're doing this to motivate you to continue forward? Oh, that's a really good question. I I think a lot of times you do it because it's getting you to your next goal. And at least for me, I'm really goal oriented and I have my life kind of segmented into chapters and I can see in each chapter, what I was doing to get to the next one. And that's a double-edged sword, right? Because we also need to learn how to enjoy each day and not look so forward to the next chapter that we miss the now. But um, also, I know that at least right now what I'm doing, like I took my written boards after residency, and then we are in practice for a couple of years before we take our oral boards. So I'm coming up on the time when I need to start getting ready for my oral boards. And I you know, sometimes wonder like, I know I am well-trained. What is the benefit of this? But the benefit of being board certified is that I can get an outside view into how I practice and why I practice that way. And someone else to kind of look into what I'm doing and make sure I really am doing the best thing for my patients because we train in different places and we learn in different ways. And we need to make sure that everything we're doing every day at work is in the best interest of our patients, because at the end of the day, that's why we're there. And they're the reason that we have a job 
And they're the reason that I love my job. What has been the most stressful thing about being a physician? You know, it's nerve-wracking to me to operate alone, although for my major surgeries, my partners, we always operate in pairs, but it's really kind of nerve-wracking to set foot in the OR for the first time, even though I feel like I was extremely well-trained at the program I went to. And, you know, that's just, it's a lot of responsibility. Um, Then you also just, I just feel a very strong desire to connect with my patients and to help them. And it's, it's really, I don't know, it can feel personal when you can't help someone or when you can't fix it. Um, and even if it's not that there's anybody in the whole world who could fix it, you almost feel like you're letting them down. And, um, kind of, I think as a resident, I could go to my attending and they could help kind of talk you through that. And I have great partners who for sure are ready to do that, but it just feels a little more like it's all on your back and your responsibility. Does imposter syndrome pick back up in those moments? Be like, oh, I, I needed to go ask for help. I, I shouldn't be doing this. Or, oh, my, my partner knew this answer and I didn't. <laughs> well, so when I, I don't really feel like I get imposter syndrome in hindsight. It's always like preceding something. So I've never had an outcome and gone, oh, I wasn't prepared for that. It's more like getting ready to do something and thinking, am I really qualified for this? Even though, you know, you absolutely are. But there are times where, I mean, you have a outcome and you think, man, would that have happened if somebody else was taking care of her? And I think it's helpful to debrief. And we learn that kind of when we do simulation in medical school and residency that it's important after you have gone through some stressful event to debrief with people around you. And so I'm very thankful and lucky to have really awesome partners and a really great co-chief from residency who I can talk to about those things. And, uh, you know, that's important for your mental health too, which is a big thing right now. And recognizing that we're not doing the best we can to maintain the mental health of our physicians and our medical students. And we have to do better at that. We have to open the doors of conversation to say, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say you're struggling. And, you know, I feel like when I was in residency, one of the best things that one of my attendings ever told me was the marker of a good physician is knowing when to ask for help. And I think you cannot put that into just a clinical box either. You have to think about it from your personal life, from your study life, from your clinical life and the OR, like you have to know when to ask for help before it spirals out of control. And, and that's important. Do you think that's something the older physician population out there, they, they use it as a kind of a badge of honor to say, Oh, I didn't need to ask for help. Oh, I was in the hospital for a week straight or, Oh, I, I was this, I was that. Um, and then we're growing up and going through this process. And then you have the, the dreaded millennials, poor millennials get, get pooped on all the time, (laughs) unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) And and so there's this shift in in thinking with how we treat our physicians and residents and and trainees coming up through the through the world. Do you think the the older physician population maybe <laughs> should step away from training our younger physicians because they have such a different mentality about it all? 
Uh, I would hate to, I would hate to ever be able to answer that question. Yes, because I absolutely don't think that our older physicians should go anywhere. I do think that there is room for meeting in the middle and there certainly were times in residency where that would happen and it would just drive me nuts that that was something that people felt like they could stand on their high horse about. Um, because we've, we can see from very clear examples over the past 20 years that that's not a healthy attitude to have, but there is some room to meet in the middle as well. I mean, we don't work normal nine to five jobs and you can't just call in because you feel a little sick that day. You, you know, I, I think if you're sick, you should stay home. If you're contagious, you should stay home, but you have to be able to use that privilege judiciously. Um, and responsibly. And so it should neither be a, I'm stronger or better than you, or I don't come to work if I just feel a little tired that day. So, you know, there's room to meet in the middle, but there's too much that our older generation of physicians have to teach us for them to not be there. And I have learned so much from my mentors that have come from other generations and I'm too thankful for that. Yeah, definitely. Talk about being a a woman in medicine. There's a huge, I I love all of the the Instagram and Twitter, the hashtags, uh, I look like a surgeon uh, campaigns. And and the newest one I saw recently that just happened, I think yesterday as we're recording this, the women belong in the, and then kitchen is crossed out and medicine is is highlighted and bolded below it. Mm Mm-hmm. How do we, as as males, so talk to me as a male, how do we help more physicians coming through this process and through residency training and everything else to to make them a better part of the team where we seem to be struggling a lot still in, in this country? I don't know that I have seen this as much from my male colleagues as I have from the general public, although it does, I think, happen some in that realm as well. I feel like maybe I'm in a little bit of a unique niche because in OB-GYN, we are 80% female. Although the administration in OB-GYN still has a heavy male presence, prevalence as compared to the general population of OB-GYNs. I don't know if that's bad necessarily or just something that has gradually changed and will continue to gradually change, but I think in general, the only thing that is needed is everybody to be supportive of one another. And so we can't let the pendulum swing too far to the other side. You know, I sometimes see people posting the future is female and all of these things. And that's not good either. We need to meet in the middle and just realize that it doesn't matter how, if your chromosomes are X's or an X and a Y, like you are an equal part of the team and you're bringing something unique to the table and it just, it just shouldn't matter. And I think all of my male colleagues have always done a great job of that as at least in the field that I'm in. And, um, you know, just supporting and accepting and not writing people off if they say they felt like they were not listened to because of their stature or their sex or whatever it may be. Oh. Let's bring it back to imposter syndrome for a little bit. 
for the pre-med out there, maybe a medical student listening to this who has imposter syndrome as they're preparing for a test or has imposter syndrome as they're preparing to to round on a patient, what would you recommend to him or her to to fight through it and to to know that they belong? So there's a a process in the psych world that I learned from a really great psychiatrist um, that I knew in residency, and it's called grounding. Um, and it's basically a process of repeating truths to yourself. Um, and for me, imposter syndrome has usually just been kind of a fleeting thought. But when it's something really significant where I feel like it's affecting my ability to kind of think about what I'm doing, it's really helpful to to practice that kind of grounding method where you just tell yourself, you know, I don't know, for example, if I was nervous about doing a procedure of some sort to just go, okay, let's talk about truths. I went to medical school. I graduated from medical school. I did 150 of these procedures as a resident with, you know, 75 of them being on my own. I am not only capable, but more than capable of doing this. And I know this because I am well-trained, you know, just reminding yourself what the facts are and not letting feelings or thoughts of whatever is leading you to that point get in the way. Do you feel, I'm going to get deep here for a second. Do you feel like your parents have helped you do that as well? Because it's it's funny, I post some things on social media and I'll get people that will respond back negatively towards positive comments. And I'm like, and I wonder, like, do you have a parent who's telling you you can't do it? Do you have a significant other who's telling you you can't do it? Do you feel like that you've surrounded yourself with those positive people and, and then coming from uh, parents, hopefully, that have supported you along the way to help you with that? Yeah, I, I mean, that's obviously being surrounded by people who believe in you and support your dreams is very important. Um, and my family has always been really good about that. But there were some people in my family and friend group along the way who would say negative things just off the top of my head. I remember being told after I didn't get into medical school, maybe you should just, you know, I don't know if you should reapply. Maybe you should just find another career that you're more fit for or something like that. And I, you know, it was hard because you can't just write those people off, especially if you care about them and you feel like they care about you and maybe they have some interest in mind that you haven't considered. But because I knew that's what I wanted to do, you just have to ignore it and move on and, and keep working towards whatever goal it is that you have. Yeah. For the pre-med out there, as we wrap up, for the pre-med out there, for the the med student, maybe somebody even before their journey, just thinking about it, what would you say to him or her to motivate them to continue down this path? Now, for you, as you, you yourself have gone through training and are now out practicing as a physician, what do you say to them to motivate them to keep moving forward? I think... It's so important to not look, you have to keep the big picture in mind. You don't want to, you know, miss the forest for the trees. But at the same time, you can't look at that journey as being, all right, here I am. It's, you know, I'm 19 and I'm going to be 
31 before I'm out in practice. Like you can't look at it like that. That is so overwhelming. And it's just really important to know that you have to take it one step at a time. You just get done what you need to get done today and tomorrow and this semester and keep moving forward. And just know that life doesn't stop for medical training. It's not like you go, all right, I'm pre-med and I'm going to go and I'm going to be in attending someday. And in the meantime, I don't have any life happening. Like that isn't really how it works. You just keep going one step at a time and life keeps happening, good and bad. And and you live your life and your life looks different than other people's sometimes. But at the same time, you wanted it to look different. That's why you chose this path. And so it's enjoyable. And looking back, I enjoyed my medical training. I enjoyed medical school. I honestly enjoyed residency. I It's not been... It's been a fun journey, and I think you have to remember to enjoy the journey. You have to enjoy the the grind. I like calling it the grind. Um, the the process of studying for the MCAT and not just taking the MCAT and and quote unquote passing the MCAT. You have to enjoy the whole thing, or else by the end of it, you're going to be very burnt out. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Danielle Jones, Mama Dr. Jones on Instagram, or you can find her website, mindonmed.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any suggestions for future topics, whether they're related to imposter syndrome or some sort of mental barrier that you are encountering on your journey or anything else that you think would be a great topic here on the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time here on the Pre-Med Years.